baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it is time for our weekly chat about the Braves and the rest of Major League Baseball as we wind towards the 2020 season. We are less than two weeks away now, as opening day is scheduled for July 23rd. As we sit here on Friday, July the 10th, we are two weeks away from Braves opening day against the Mets up in New York. That is, of course, our plan. That's what we're working towards, and that's what we'll be discussing on this show My friend Gabe Burns from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution will check in as we talk about the Braves news from the last week. Had two players opt out. Felix Hernandez, of course, was the first. Nick Markakis was the second. So we'll talk a little bit about that, what that means for the team, how everyone's doing, and, of course, what the Braves lineup is going to look like with a lot of different options. But Nick Markakis, not going to be among those. So what will the Braves be doing as they get themselves ready for the 2020 season? We will talk about all of that with Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Bill Rowland will join me as we talk about what else has been happening big picture across Major League Baseball. We've got several notable players who have elected not to play this year. There's also some question about Major League Baseball's testing protocols and just how quickly they're being executed. And an interesting story about the Blue Jays I saw on Friday morning and how they may be handling playing their home games in Toronto and what may be expected of their players away from the field. Before we get into all of that, though, I want to remind you you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. Be sure to share it with a friend as well. On Twitter, you can find the show at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And you can find Bill Rowland at Bill Rowland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. On Instagram, the show is at From the Diamond with no underscore. I am at Grant McCauley there as well. And everything else, including every episode of the show, can be found at FromTheDiamond.com. I want to lead things off with our Braves discussion. And, of course, the news of the week to start things out was the decision of veteran outfielder Nick Markakis not to play this year. Before I welcome Gabe Burns into the show to have our Braves discussion, I want to let you have a chance to hear from Nick Markakis, who made his announcement and spoke with the media earlier this week. Braves manager Brian Snitker weighed in on this as well. And we'll start things out with Nick Markakis discussing what led to his decision. You know, I was excited to get back to playing just as much as everybody else. And, uh, you know, when you show up to the ballpark and you're used to your certain ways over so many years and then coming into this, um, it makes it tough. And I think the biggest thing is uh, I talked to Freddie Freeman the other day and, you know, just hearing the way he sounded on the phone kind of opened my eyes and, you know, Freddie didn't sound good. You know, I hope he's doing good. I hope he's healthy. I know these guys need him more than anybody. You know, just to hear him, the way he sounded on the phone, you know, it was tough. It was kind of eye-opening. And, you know, with everything that's going on, you know, not just in baseball, but in the world, it it makes you open your eyes. You know, you can be excited leading up to it, but until you actually get put in that situation and have to go through it, it's kind of eye-opening. And like I said, it's out of the norm for me in the baseball world. And, you know, I, I love the game, but 
the best part about competing every day is walking out of the tunnel and seeing your biggest supporters in the in the stands. And, you know, to take that away, it's tough. So a lot to take from Nick Markakis' decision-making process there, including a phone conversation with Freddie Freeman, who the Braves are still hoping to have back by opening day. But with the reality of what is happening in the world, the health ramifications and the unknown, quite simply, a lot of things for Nick Markakis or any player to consider as they get ready for the 2020 season. One of the other factors that Nick mentioned quite a few times, and you heard right there, was the importance of having fans in the stands and the reason why these players play the game. Markakis added a little bit more on his thought process about how different it would be to do this whole thing with empty ballparks. We play this game for the fans, you know, to be able to go out there on a daily basis and compete and entertain for them. You know, that's what it's all about. To have to go out there and not have them part of that, it's tough. And I think that was kind of my ultimate decision. We play for the fans and to take them out of the equation, you know, it's, it's tough. And I think that was kind of like the, the blow for me. I mean, I knew coming into it that was going to be, but until you actually get into the situation and you go there and experience it, you know, I, th- I think it changes things. At the age of 36, Nick Markakis' baseball career is, of course, winding down. He signed a one-year deal with the Braves and taking a year off, Does that mean that Nick's baseball career may have already seen its final chapter? That's something he'll have to consider over the months and perhaps the year ahead. No, I kind of want to see how this year plays out. You know, it's tough to go out there and prepare for this game. And, you know, a lot of you guys have been around me for a while and the preparations that I take for this game is a lot of time and commitment. A lot of that's kind of be taken away. So it's kind of hard to be able to prepare and get ready for games with the restrictions and everything that we have. I just you know, don't think it's fair to myself and my teammates to not be able to get 100% prepared for baseball games every day. Braves manager Brian Snitker discussed losing one of the team's veteran leaders. It was another tough call for a guy like that. This the ultimate pro and, and um, you know, we'll miss him. One of our backbones of our club. And, and I know um, he's been thinking long and hard about it. I had a long talk with him yesterday and we fully respect his position. We're behind him. Again, as, like I say, I, we appreciate everything that he does for this team and circumstances and his decision. We respect it and, and um, are behind him 100%. After the decision made by Marcakis and veteran right-hander Felix Hernandez, Brian Snitker was asked to sum up his level of optimism for getting the 2020 season not only underway, but seeing it make it all the way to the finish line. I have to be optimistic because I think if we weren't, we wouldn't be able to prepare. We just got to worry about today. And I know this thing is just ever-changing. I said three weeks from now, it could be great. We got to push through and, and weather the storms that faced with every day that's the probably the biggest new normal is just you just never know coming in um and it's going to be like that you know who's going to be available who isn't and i like i say i think we talked about just a minute ago that these guys are going to come in and live this and you know i would you never know i mean the guys are working hard the energy's good in a good place you have to be like that to prepare Brian Snitker's coaching staff also saw a change this week as eric young opted not to coach this year as being someone who is in that high risk category Snitker discussed how he's feeling as someone who's considerably older than the guys on the field and what playing through a pandemic could mean to him. You know, I feel great right here. I mean, I, I think I'll be fine these three weeks. The traveling worries me more than anything. And, you know, when you're home with your grandkids and, uh, you know, I got a small one and, and um, you know, but it's like I said the other day, you know, the fact that we have had some some positive tests real you know makes you realize that this is real this virus is real and and it's nothing to mess with and i do 
a little bit, but I still kind of feel like this is where I need to be. And I'm, I'm confident that, that, you know, I'm doing the right things. I think we can do everything right. And it's, you know, you never know. It might not be good enough. So you've heard from Nick Markakis, also from Brian Snitker, on the effect of that decision on the Braves. And I want to bring in my friend Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He has been following this team, of course, throughout this summer camp or spring training 2.0, if you want to call it that. And uh, Gabe, we've had a chance to get about a week of this under our belts. We've got about two weeks until the Braves are going to have their opening day for the 2020 season. Uh, what have you seen this week, and uh, what were your impressions of uh, Nick Markakis's decision and maybe how that will affect the club both on and off the field? Well, Grant, thanks for having me on as always. And, uh, you know, I think things have finally settled down for this team. Uh, the first few days, that first weekend there, it seems like there was, uh, you know, bad news coming out every single day for these guys. And, um, you know, Nick, he made he's made what he feels like is the right decision for his family. And, of course, the organization and everybody supports that. I mean, it's it's a loss. Uh, it's a loss for a team that, you know, with Freddie, you know, his he's, his status is uncertain. It's a, it's a loss as far as another left-handed bat. It's a, certainly a loss in the clubhouse, as, uh, as Snit really uh, stressed to us, of course. Uh, he's been one of the leaders. I know people kind of roll their eyes and get tired of hearing it. But, I mean, it does matter to lose a guy like that in that room. So, but uh, fortunately, the Braves do have a lot of depth, so they'll be able to kind of handle that. I, I think I don't think it's on the field. It's a you know a gigantic loss, as say you know if Freddie Freeman is unavailable to start the season. So yeah, it was certainly a whirlwind there. Uh, Felix Hernandez, um, of course, opts out too. So you know there's there's a lot going on. But I think since that time, really, as we've kind of gotten more into this week. Uh, it's Friday that we're recording this, but really kind of later into this week, things t- seem to have kind of settled in. Players are getting back to their rhythm. You know, they've had a couple scrimmages now. So at this point, we're kind of seeing maybe what the on-field, you know, just talking more about what's going to happen on the field and kind of looking forward to opening day in exactly two weeks. Yeah, it's, yeah two yeah. weeks until they'll be up at City Field to play the Mets. Now, we also got word on Friday the Braves will play a couple of exhibition games. I had a feeling they were going to try to work something like that out. Brian Snicker wasn't aware of any plans that had uh, firmed up early in the week, but as of Friday, the team did officially announce two games against the Marlins, one night game, one late afternoon game, July 21st and 22nd. So Braves fans will get a little bit of a taste of uh, what this team will look like with an empty stadium component to it, but also, of course, a starting lineup, you know, getting the pitchers out there and actually seeing some baseball on your screen again that is not just a live cam from a scrimmage game, which we did see a little bit of, and we'll talk, of course, a little bit about that as well. But uh, kind of to go back to Nick Markakis, also Felix Hernandez, of course, Eric Young has opted not to coach first for the Braves this year, not to you know be around in that dynamic as uh, someone who would be identified as a high-risk individual so the Braves have felt the effects of COVID-19. Of course, the four positive tests, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Tuki Toussaint, Pete Cosma, who is, I believe, over at the Gwinnett side or will be when he reports. So the Braves have been affected by this. Major League Baseball announced the uh, percentage of the intake tests that were positive was 1.8. We also saw a lot of I say oddities about the execution of the COVID-19 testing over the 4th of July weekend. So, Gabe, it has been nice to see baseball back on the field, but... I don't know if you're like I am, but I'm just kind of hoping we can avoid any of these hiccups and things that have uh, cropped up here early in this testing, just so that if for nothing else, you can give the players peace of mind that MLB is, in fact, doing everything it can to execute and take care of their safety. Yeah, the initial numbers 
uh, everyone will say, you know, is it's, it's encouraging. Uh, obviously, any number is bad. Sure. Uh, but for the percentage to be as low as it is, it's been encouraging. But at the same time, I mean, it's hard not to be discouraged by how it's been organized and how it's been handled so far. Uh, it's been more than a few minor hiccups. Uh, I think everyone expected that there would be minor hiccups, but it, it has been more serious than that. And as far as feeling, you know, where's this going to go? It truly is a day-to-day thing. Um, you know, we could be rolling 20 games into the season. And then, you know, if there's, I mean, if there's an outbreak, I mean, does it end the season? I mean, yeah. we don't know yet, but uh, it, it's certainly, it, it's a day-to-day thing. And it's, it's obviously concerning. It obviously really uh, throws water on any, you know, excitement or anything that you might feel for just the product coming back. So, you, you know, from that, it's, it's going to be really, it's going to be interesting to just see how this plays out. I, I just hope that people are able to stay safe and that we are able to, you know, again, people have cited this a lot, but a lot of MLB's issues are fixable. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's fair if you want to question, you know, are they actually going to fix it? But these are fixable issues. So hopefully we can, you know, get this thing rolling and everyone can be safe as possible. And, you know, that's going to be the top concern. Like we saw Buster Posey opt out right. today. We just adopted the twins and everything. So, I mean, it, it's going to be a recurring thing. We're going to see guys opt out. Unfortunately, we're going to see guys test positive. It's going to impact teams on the field. And it's going to impact pennant races, assuming that we get through this thing. So it, it's, it's a factor that's going to be there throughout this whole thing. And it, it's unfortunate, but it's, a, it's the world we're dealing with now and everything. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to put it. It is the world that we're dealing with right now. And I've been saying this uh, for quite a few weeks now. And obviously, I've had a lot of discussions in the last four or so months about the effect of the coronavirus on both our everyday lives, and of course on sports as well, which seems kind of a secondary pursuit, which is a pretty obvious statement, but also something that kind of butts up against the amount of passion that people have for their sports and wanting them back, but asking the necessary questions about, you know, are we doing this the right way? Are we doing everything that we can? Is this the right decision? I mean, these are things that I don't necessarily want to spend all of our time talking about that, but I feel like uh, it wouldn't be responsible of us to just kind of ignore that and say, hey, baseball's back, and that's the only thing that we're going to focus on here. But uh, I do like the fact that we can talk about baseball, which did happen on the field this week. The Braves are kind of ramping up their game activity. What have you noticed, and what were your takeaways from the first few of these scrimmage games or these controlled scrimmages that Brian Snitker's calling them? And uh, how do you think the Braves are faring thus far? Well, I mean, it's, it's hard to take too much from, from these things. Sure. But, you know, I mean, you, you, you look at Fulte, you know, he has one walk in, in three innings. Otherwise, you know, he was good. Sean Newcomb, I mean, he gives up a couple home runs. Obviously, that's that's not ideal. So, I mean, you're looking at stuff like that. How much can you really take from it? You know, I, I don't know. But I think it's just important that these guys are out there again. I think it's important that, you know, the team is together. I mean, obviously they kind of have, I mean, we're really approaching, like this thing is approaching quickly. Um, So they're going to be needing to do these scrimmages. Uh, It's going to rev up on Monday. And it's actually, uh, it's a pretty good thing that they're going to have these couple games against the Marlins as well. I I think it'll just help to kind of see another team and just see just how a game is going to work, uh, a real game. Yeah. And how just how that's really going to unfold. I think that's helpful instead of just jumping in. Like, I mean, to use kind of a cross sport, I mean, they're talking about maybe there's no preseason in the NFL. Well, it, it's mm-hmm. going to be, you know, I, I'm not obviously, I'm not a big preseason guy, but it is going to be tough 
for some for some guys to just step out on the field and say, okay, it's game day. Like there's yeah. been you know all you've had is scrimmages. So from an MLB perspective, it's the same thing with the Braves. You know, Snit sounded really encouraged by Austin Riley, which that's a pretty big deal to me because mm-hmm. I th- I think if uh, if Freddie Freeman is unavailable to start the and again we stress we do not know, uh, and I'm not going to pretend to know. Uh, because every you know people react to this virus differently, we right. have zero clue if uh, if he will be available. But if he's not, uh, you know Austin's one of the guys who's a you know a candidate to play first. And obviously with him and Camargo, I mean they were having such great springs uh, that that went that went to waste after this. So that's noteworthy. Uh, just how they how they could keep the lineup together. You know you lose Nick. You you know you potentially lose Freddie. And then you look at the pitching staff. And I think that so far the story of the week that they've been back at it has been, you know, what's going to happen with this with this rotation because Cole Hamels right now, you know, Smith said he's not going to be throwing a, a batting practice this weekend. So, you know, you start to look at the calendar and you start to figure right. out. Well, Cole Cole said that he needs. You know, three outings, he needs to get to about 65 pitches. You start looking at the calendar and you start to realize that the uh, that the dream of him being available, you know, in the opening rotation is starting to look a bit far-fetched. And so, so you're looking at that. You're looking at, well, okay, Sean Newcomb gives up the two home runs. You know, what, what's going to happen with him? You know, is he, is he you know, ready to be a starter again? And he starts thinking, you know, Josh Tomlin is going to start Monday. Is he going to be one of these guys? Either way, he has to be stressed stretched out so i don't know how much i would necessarily read into him starting per se yeah, no but kyle Wright. so, so I, I mean I, the rotation i would definitely say is the number one story right now with this club well let's run through a little bit of that as well because we have heard over the last week 10 days you know, mike soroka also max freed sean newcomb and then of course mike fulton after his outing in one of those scrimmage games these guys worked out very hard to have themselves ready to come in at at least the level where they were just going to start building up that pitch count and not so much that whole spring training kind of slow burn to the regular season. They all knew they were going to have a limited amount of time. So you had at the local high school, and we touched on this a little bit last week, but you know you had you know Mike Fultonevich, Mike Soroka, and Sean Newcomb throwing. You had some of the teammates come over and face them, including some pretty big names, pretty good hitters, the Ronald Acunas and Ozzie Albies, Johan Camargo, Charlie Culberson, pretty good group there for you to match up against face live hitters. I think that was certainly important. Uh, and then you start to throw in Max Fried was working out in Los Angeles with his buddy Jack Flaherty. Of course, they went to the same high school, so that not altogether surprising. But just knowing that that quartet right there, pretty young mostly, I guess you say elder statesman would be Mike Fultonevich of that group, which is weird to say. But they did a lot of work to have themselves ready. And in particularly hearing from Fulty, he knew how important it was going to be to throw regularly, get his bullpens in, and come back in knowing that this season could start almost at the drop of a hat because three weeks is not very much time at all to get yourself ready as a starting pitcher. And for Fulty, you know, this was going to be a really big season oh, yeah. for him. I don't think I need to remind everybody what happened the last time he was no, you pitching in a game that counted. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> I mean, this was a huge season for him as far as a guy who, you know, he's starting to be in that realm of, you know, are we going to need to extend to this guy? You know, the team is going to have to start evaluating, you know, what is faulty moving forward. There's been a lot of inconsistency, but there's also the, the ceiling is really high mm-hmm. uh, to say that, you know, as generically as possible. I mean, we've seen him at his best and we've seen him at his worst. So this was going to be a really important season to just determine his future, really, uh, his long-term future, perhaps, with the club. So, and they're, I mean, they're going to need him. Like, if, if you really look at this rotation now, 
with how many uncertainties there are, assuming Hamels isn't ready, um, you know, they, they need Fulte to be consistent because if, if you wind up with the up and down Fulte, all of a sudden you're looking at a rotation that could have, you know, could honestly be a weakness. Uh, as crazy as that is, to, that is to say, depending on where, where it goes with him. So Fulte is one of the most important players this season for this team. And whichever way he goes is going to go a long way in determining how far this team and this road and how good this rotation can be. I, I think we know what we have in Mike Soroka here. I, I think that they know they kind of have an idea of Freed. I, I think Freed is still trying to get to the next level himself, yeah. but, and then there's some uncertainty. I mean, you know, Felix, Felix opting out, they lost one veteran option there, another veteran option if Hamels isn't ready. So it, it's, it's just going to be, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see the first two or so weeks of how they wind up handling this group. Yeah, there's going to be some questions, and I think that's really what every team tries to navigate through over the course of a season of any length is going to be how is injury or other unforeseen things going to change the best laid plan that we have. And I know Brian Snitker has often said, you know, you can you can have that great plan, but it doesn't take much to, you know, throw the whole thing on its ear, so to speak. But I do think the depth is there, but you don't want to start losing options. And we'll know a lot more, I think, about Cole Hamels this time next week. If he does not really participate or do a lot of throwing in the next week or so, then as you mentioned, I mean, look at the calendar. You don't have much more time beyond that. And even if they're doing the piggyback approach, you just want to make sure that, hey, he's getting out there and throwing on a regular basis so that you know you'll have him uh, in some capacity so that you can have a plan as far as the starting rotation goes. But could be a big opportunity for Kyle Wright. Could be a big opportunity, of course, for Sean Newcomb, who's been looking for one of those in the rotation as well. But that piggyback approach the Braves are taking for the first probably two, three times through the rotation, that's going to make things look a little bit differently. But you still need that depth to be able to pull off that plan. We'll see if they're able to do it. Uh, on the lineup side of things or on the position player side of things, I uh, was interested to get your thoughts on Adam Duvall because with Nick Markake is stepping away from the game, and we don't know uh, what the Braves' DH situation is going to be, particularly with Freddie Freeman currently not on the roster, how much that may change guys who would have gotten a DH at bats if you don't have Freddie ready to start the season. What do you think this does for Adam Duvall, the fact that Nick Markakis is no longer in the mix uh, as a good left fielder that Duvall is and a little bit of rumbling that he could play first base if you needed him to? It would appear to me that uh, Adam Duvall's stock went up a little bit in the last week or 10 days. Stock has definitely gone up. I, I, the team is going to need him more than it did before. Uh, you know, we saw we we really saw something to Duvall there uh, in the playoffs last year, oh, yeah. and they're 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 still more there than we've seen. I, I think that's fair to say. He's had little spurts, but for the most part, you know, he needed to play consistently. And I still, you know, I'm not sure he's going to be playing consistently this season. You know, everyone kind of references him as a DH candidate at the same time. You know he, you know he's a plus defender, or you could D, you know you could DH Ozuna instead. I mean they have different options there. I think you know we and we've t we touched on this before, but they're in really good shape when it comes to the DH, uh, be it be it Riley, be it Duvall, be it Ozuna, whoever. But mm -hmm. uh, Duvall, it's going to be important to kind of get him. You know, I mean when you're looking at this lineup, kind of like the rotation, even I, I think you, your top four is impressive. And then after that, it could go a number of ways. Like, you know, we touched on the rotation, but, I mean, this could be a top three rotation in the NL, or it could be average, or it could just be like, wow, it's, you know, two guys who kind of have it, and then the other guys are all over the place. A lot of questions. So it could go a number of directions. And you look at the lineup, it's kind of the same way after 
after your top four. So, and even with Ozuna, you know, you're not totally sure uh, what, you know, what your, how much of Donaldson he's going to replace. You, you know, we don't know about Dansby. I think that, you know, it would certainly, if Dansby's healthy and can put something together, we've seen him at his best too. Uh, so you look at the lineup and they're going to need, you know, they're going to need a guy like Riley, uh, you know, a guy like Camargo Duvall. They're going to need somebody to really step up and really help lengthen this lineup. And obviously the DH helps that case. So I, I think that we're looking at the floor of the Braves is, is really high. And, yeah. you know, the way we're talking about it, there's so many questions you would think, you know, is this really a playoff team, but the star power, the depth, the questions are more so in just how they're going to handle all this, but how they're going to handle all the options they have. And that is a much better problem than being, you know, <laughs> you know, the Orioles or somebody where you're just trying to figure out, do we have enough guys who even should be out here? Yeah. And for those of us who slogged through the rebuild, particularly in 2015, 2016, and to an extent in 2017 as well, though the new ballpark might've you kind of distracted from that at least a little bit, you know, for for a portion of the fan base anyway. Uh, it's been quite a night and day difference to see some of these guys, especially the homegrown talents, step up, become stars, become everyday players, become fixtures in the rotation, you know, find that uh, footing, if you will, at the big league level. And uh, then some of the players who have uh, come in and rounded out this squad. It is a very good group. There are questions, but as you mentioned, it's more about you know, what are they going to choose? How are they going to choose to do it rather than do we have anybody that can possibly do this? Where are we going to find these innings? Who's going to play you know, these three positions? We're not sure. It's night and day, a big difference from where they were not too long ago, if you really think about it. And this is a club that's, oh, by the way, won the division the last couple of years. So they're going to be aiming quite high, not just to win a division or get into the playoffs. They want to get over that hump and start advancing into October and, and really realizing some of the true potential of a of a team that seems to be set up to be contending at least for the, the near future, if not longer. But uh, all of that to kind of wrap up and say, as the Braves are looking to find the answers to how they're going to start the 2020 season, there are some stories that we're going to continue to monitor. You mentioned that the starting rotation certainly something that we're trying to see who's going to be where and when. We did get a little bit on Will Smith from Brian Snitker on Friday, but it doesn't sound like he's really doing a whole lot from the physical activity side. We haven't had a chance to talk to him yet about what he was doing over the break. He was one of the Braves' positive COVID-19 tests. He was asymptomatic, so maybe not even aware that he had it before the intake test. We, again, don't have all the details on that, but uh, what do you think that that does to the Braves from the bullpen stability standpoint if Will Smith is not going to be ready to throw come opening day? Well, fortunately, the Braves really invested in their bullpen over the offseason. And a lot of people, you know, weren't even sure that Shane Green would be here, but they insisted mm -hmm. from the beginning that, you know, Shane Green was part of their plans, and obviously they were telling the truth. So when you yeah, – I mean, they fortunately for them, they have, they have a lot of veterans in the bullpen. They have a lot of guys with – now, Will Smith wasn't going to be the closer anyway, but they have a lot of guys with closing experience – it hurts. I mean, there's no doubt about it. When you pay a reliever that much, when you bring a guy in here, he was an all-star. I mean, he was a really important piece. And I really, I thought he was going to be the most important guy in the bullpen, considering how they were planning to use him. He was going to be their right. guy they brought in in a pinch. I mean, he was their most important guy. So if he's not available to start, that's going to hurt. Uh, but, you know, hopefully that, you know, he's asymptomatic. Hope, hopefully he's able to recover quickly and they can get him back. But I, I just think because of their depth for as important as he is, 
it doesn't hurt as much just because of how many guys they have in there. And that's, that's really the benefit to them of having a deep, even star studded bullpen. So, which is something they have not had, especially over these past two years. Like, I mean, they've really needed some veteran guys. That's why at the deadline they went out and they got those three guys. So, I think their bullpen will still be in okay shape if, if these guys are ready and healthy. It's been an interesting week. It continues to be interesting as we count down toward opening day, which, as we mentioned, is two weeks from Friday, the 24th, against the Mets up at City Field, we assume. Mike Soroka, Jacob DeGrom, that sounds pretty good to me. Gabe, I look forward to continuing our countdown to a game with those two starting pitchers and the first of the 60-game sprint in the 2020 season, if all goes according to plan. I agree. Looking forward to it, and hopefully we're able to uh, get to it and through it safely. So let's turn our focus to what's happening across Major League Baseball this week, and to help me do that, I want to welcome Bill Rowland into the show. Bill, we're another week closer to the 2020 season getting started, and also we know who's going to be playing, who they're going to be playing, and when teams are going to be playing, and I don't know if I've been this excited for a schedule reveal in a long time. Yeah, it's amazing that they put out not only the 2020 schedule, but they jumped to 2021 as well, which I thought was a, a bit optimistic perhaps. But, uh, um, yeah, it opens up. Obviously, the the World Series champs get the first game. Uh, the Yankees at Nationals, ESPN, and then uh, the next day, Braves and Mets on ESPN as well. So they're really focusing on the NL East, which I think is probably smart because I think the Braves and the Nationals probably two of the best teams in baseball right now. So why wouldn't you put them right out in front your first couple days right out of the gate? Yeah, I think that's going to be a hot divisional race because when you looked at the you know World Series contenders, and we touched on this a couple of weeks ago, there were four teams in the National League East that were among the top 10 favorites. Now, obviously, that can vary wildly, but the Nationals, obviously the World Series winners, the Braves who won the division the last couple of years, and then you've got the Phillies, and you've also got the Mets. I mean, the Marlins are the Marlins. They're at least a little bit better, so I think that's good as far as like what this division could be. But, yeah, to go ahead and get things going and have all this interdivisional play, I think it's going to make this 60-game season a pretty fascinating run, and I think that the National League East is stacked up pretty good, and then you throw in the fact that your 20 interleague games are going to be against an American League East that is – Pretty competitive in its own right, with the exception of one team, the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, no question. I mean, the Orioles and the Marlins are both about the same, probably down there with the Tigers and some other clubs that just probably aren't going to be competitive this year. And they wouldn't have been if it had been a 162-game season. You know, a 60-game season, maybe they hang around, quote-unquote, a little bit longer if they get off to a decent start. But, yeah, I think you can – there's probably at least five to six teams that you can probably write off at the very beginning of the year. But the rest of it is kind of intriguing if you look at it. Grant, again, you look at the NL Central, I and mean, we talked about the East. I'm not sure that the Phillies and Mets have caught the Nationals and Braves yet. But again, in a short season, you never know. But the NL Central to me is, is still fascinating. Maybe outside of the Pirates. I think there's going to be a three, four, maybe even five-team race there. You could make an argument over 60 games for almost any team in that division outside of maybe Pittsburgh. I, I, I Again, the more I start looking at this, the more I start thinking about it, I wasn't real sure that 60 games is going to be enough, and I probably, once we get to October, probably still won't think it was enough. But it's going to go so quick and so fast. I am really, really interested to see how teams are able to deal with it just being 60 games. Mm-hmm. As we've talked before, a four-game losing streak is like, 
losing 10 or 12 in a row yeah. in the regular season, that could be devastating for a team. You could drop four in a weekend, and suddenly you go from being maybe one or two games out to six back, but now you've only got 30 to play. It's over at that point. Yeah, it definitely is. And as you look at the schedule, it's the 60 games, 10 against each of your divisional opponents for each club, then the 20 interleague games. And uh, obviously the schedules are not all going to be created equal, and the 60 games is a little bit, I would say, open to interpretation in terms of how these schedules are in terms of strength of schedule, I think, because you know that old adage that you can win 54 and you can lose 54. It's what happens in the other 54 that will really tell right. the tale of your season. Well, we're basically only getting one of the 54 right now, and I don't know if we're going to do a 20, 20, and 20 kind of cliche to that, but either way, I mean, to your point, and as we've discussed, the percentage of your season that a three-game sweep could be all of a sudden or a five-game losing streak, it could be catastrophic, particularly because there's not a lot of time. There's not as many games on the schedule. And if you're losing them inside the division to, say, the team you're chasing or you just happen to have a losing streak that coincides with the team you're chasing's winning streak, things could get really interesting really fast, and there could be a lot of sliding scale, if you will, in terms of who truly is the best and who's going to be able to prove it in the finite amount of time from the baseball sense that we're not used to, but is going to be the new reality as far as 2020 is concerned with a 60-game sprint rather than the 162-game marathon. Let me ask you something outside of teams. And again, we may see a team go, you know, 42 and 18 over the course of 60 games because the it's good happened. teams will have that stretch during the year. And people are going to be like, wow, that's amazing. They won more than two out of every three. A lot of teams have that type of stretch. Really good teams have that type of stretch during the year. But let's, let me ask you about individuals because this was brought up and I've seen it in a couple different places as well. But a buddy of mine brought up and said, you know, the last time that we had a legit 400 hitter was all the way back in what, 1946, 41, whatever it was with mm -hmm. Ted Williams doing yeah, it. 41. Are you going to, are you going to agree if somebody hits 400 that they should be listed because they did it in the season they were given? Are we going to accept a 60 game 400 hitter? No, I don't think we're going to accept any 60-game records, and there are very few that you actually could say, whether that's batting average or on-base percentage or maybe a record for slugging percentage. None of those, from a historical perspective, are going to carry the same weight because the context is so important. And this is a lot different than, well, hey, Babe Ruth hit his 60 home runs in the 154-game schedule. Roger Maris did it in 162. And all that talk about the asterisk going by Maris's home run record for so long, that we're not going to see here. There is really not enough meat on the bone to debate it, in my opinion. Will it be impressive if somebody hits 400 over the course of the air quotes season as it is? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that kind of hot streak is really impressive in its own right, but the fact that you're missing three or four months of the season to really, you know, have it stand on its own without any qualifiers necessary, none of those are going to pass that test, in my opinion. I don't think too many people will be making a case that that would be, as you put it, a legitimate 400 hitter or some other record, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I'm with you, and I, I think you're going to see the same thing. You know, a, a starting pitcher could get hot. Their ERA could be down below two over what, maybe they get 10 to 12 starts? And we've yeah. seen pitchers go, go for those streaks like that over a, over the course of a season. So I'm with you. I, I think it I think it will be that way that people look at it and say, mm, not buying that one. But there will also be people on the other side that will say, hey, 
It's not their fault that they played 60 games this year. You legitimately have to put it down as the guy hit 400 during a Major League Baseball season. I'm not sure you're going to get to too many of uh, of the baseball purists that will agree with right. that, but I bet there'll be there'll be the average fan out there or or some talking head will take that side just to be controversial that they'll they'll actually say that no, you got to put them right up there with with Williams and the rest of the guys that have hit 400. Yeah, there may be some fringe out there that wants to make that case, and I don't even think you have to be a baseball purist or traditionalist to note that the context is so important, and I, I just don't foresee it being something that is argued about too much, but it is something worth thinking about is we have not had a 400-hitter in what amounts to almost 80 years since Ted Williams did it, and when he did hit 400 in 1941, keep in mind, he didn't win the MVP award that year. Joe DiMaggio did because he had his 56-game hitting streak, and that obviously was a pretty good season in its own right. But either way, I mean, the last guy that hit 400, something that no one's been able to do in nearly eight decades, didn't even win the MVP that year. He was not deemed as the most valuable player in his league for doing something that nobody's done since, and really only a couple of guys have even come close to over the 79 seasons since then. It is amazing when you start, and, and we can do this all the time with baseball, these crazy numbers, but think about that. The Magio's hitting streak would have lasted almost the entire season in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Every single game. I mean, 50, he almost, I mean, that is amazing because I believe after he lost his streak, he had another 8 to 10 to 12 games after that. So he would go through the entire 2020 season with one day of not getting a hit. One game during the entire year coming up. He would not have gotten a hit. That's it. That That is incredible to even think about. It is. And Joe DiMaggio's had a lot of interesting facts that go with his hitting streak in 1941, the 56-gamer. But he had a longer one as a member of the San Francisco Seals prior to his career beginning with the Yankees. He had a 61-game hitting streak as a minor league baseball player which is wild to think about because a 30-game hitting streak is quite an accomplishment, in my opinion. You get to 40, that's some rare company. And anything above that, you're really putting together something that's certainly historic in the history of baseball, not just for the club you're playing for. You've done something that very few men in this sport have done. How soon will it be for people that are fans of a National League team, and I know we have a lot of people that are Braves fans listening to this, how soon will they either A, completely turn on having the universal dh or conversely maybe some of them are converted to saying you know what watching a pitcher hit all the time isn't necessarily something i need to see will there be converts in this or do you think people are so dug in one way or the other that that this is just gonna be used for fodder for them to stick with their position i think that most people are going to be open to that particular rule much more than some of the others for instance what's going to be going on in extra innings that I think is going to be more jarring for fans. We've seen the DH for years, including an in interleague play since that began back in the 90s. So I don't think that's going to really throw too many people off. I understand and I respect the people that look at it traditionally or like the strategy or just don't like what the DH does to the game. Maybe it's too much offense. Whatever the reason is, you just don't like it. I can understand that, but... The more I look at that rule, it just seemed like an inevitability to begin with. And maybe I'm just one of those people that started preparing myself for the fact that we were probably going to be seeing a DH in baseball as a universal thing sooner than later at the very least. Yeah, and I think the Players Association probably wants it as well because I'm yeah. going to imagine jobs. 
that they're, yeah, that they're going to add at least one roster spot moving forward. I think you're going to see it stick after this year at 26, and everybody that'll be probably one of the negotiating points when the uh, CBA is up after 2021 that they are going to expand that major league roster from 25 to 26. That would be my guess if they do decide to go to the universal DH, that they'll just add the roster spot. They're not necessarily going to take away a job from a pitcher or whatever it may be. No, and that roster spot was going to come into play either way. This was going to be the year where you did get the 26th man, and some of that, not only for the DH, the point that you just brought forth, but you had a lot of people looking at what goes on in September with the expansion of rosters and thinking, Mm -hmm. is that something that's beneficial for the game? Because for a long time, I don't know that it really made that much of a difference because – you didn't see as many roster moves and as much, uh, you know, up and down with especially pitchers across the leagues because you didn't have that much of a need for it. But now it seems like that 40 man, if for certain teams they want to, then they're ending up with a, a bench full of people that's almost so many that you can't even fit them in the dugout. And you're playing what's supposed to be the most meaningful baseball of the year, but you've got these ultra, you know, these mega rosters of just so many extra players to where. I don't know that that necessarily was in the true spirit of competition or the integrity of the schedule or a blend of those two things. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what the players latch on to when they do go back to negotiate in, in 2021. Because again, as we talked about, I think it was last week, all the things that Major League Baseball did, especially from the commissioner's office, to basically push back on playing 80 games, 75 games, 70 games, whatever it was, the Players Association is going to use that uh, to their advantage to talk about the leverage and, and having too much leverage and how much money they get in revenue sharing and everything else. So I think the extra roster spot will definitely be a part of that. It may not be front and center, but it's certainly going to be something that they will want to have in the next CBA. Just depends on what other things that they think they can push through where maybe the roster spot isn't exactly top of mind depending on what else is going on yeah and in case you were wondering as well the dimaggio hitting streak i wanted to go back and look at it before we move too far from it 56 games as we know from may 15th through july the 16th of 1941 before his famous offer against the indians the next day he proceeded to go out and collect a couple more hits and begin a 16 game hitting streak so 72 out of 73 games is a pretty good run for dimaggio who hit well over 400 in that streak, and then the subsequent 16-gamer that followed, I would say that probably got him some attention because we had seen 400 hitters before. It's certainly very impressive, but if you look at DiMaggio's year as well, he hit 357, which is not bad, all things considered. But I would say that uh, if I had a Hall of Fame, or Hall of Fame, if I had an MVP vote, it would be hard to overlook what Ted Williams did that year. Yeah, and you talk about that, that people had hit 400, you know, not so distant pass from Ted Williams. So yeah, people looked at him and went, okay, somebody else hit 400. I imagine nobody thought that it wouldn't happen again. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're watching baseball in 1941, yeah, there's a chance that maybe you're still alive if you were a young kid, but I guarantee you everybody who saw Williams at 406 in 1941 thought they'd see another 400 hitter in their lifetime. And they probably have not. Well, let's talk about a couple of quirks from this season and the schedule that we got this past week for Major League Baseball. We've kind of broken down what the simple view of it is for all of these clubs and, and mentioning that you know nobody's going to get the same kind of schedules when you're looking for you know balance of some teams are going to be assigned some tougher interleague series than others just based on some of the travel requirements and trying to mesh 
30 teams staying active each and every day. It's a little bit hard to do, especially with the travel component in place. But I noticed uh, an article that said the Dodgers are going to be playing 17 games against clubs that had a 500 or better record in 2019. You and I have talked about the Dodgers a bit as far as being a pretty good Major League Baseball team and perhaps the favorite to get back to the World Series again this year out of the National League. Once I saw that, I just started to think that that may be a foregone conclusion. Weirder things have happened, but when you look at the difference between the Western Division setup that they have and the Eastern Division setup that, especially here in Atlanta, we've been looking at. And, by the way, the Braves are facing 43 of their 60 games are facing teams with a 500 or better record last year. Going to be a little bit different road to October for, say, the Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Well, right, because they, they're talking about you play 40 of the 60 against your division, mm-hmm. which obviously math majors know, two out of every three. During a regular Major League Baseball season, you play less than 50% against your own division. Um, so that's where the discrepancy comes in, is the Dodgers are going to get to beat up on all those teams in the NL West. And then, obviously, the AL West, they haven't been any great shakes as of late either. So, yeah, this is just one of those one-year things. You think about some other sports that it, it happens in, like the NFL when they play their cross-divisional, you know, NFC versus AFC. Sometimes you catch a break. Maybe, the you know, you're an NFC East team and you're, playing maybe the AFC West, and maybe the AFC West stinks that year for whatever reason, you catch a little bit of a break. The Dodgers have caught a huge break in this situation because their division is a little bit down. Now, again, you and I have talked about it. I think Arizona is going to be a little bit better than than a lot of people expect. I don't think that they'll challenge the Dodgers at all. Um, and then the AL West, outside of Houston and maybe Oakland, there's not a lot there either. So, Dodgers catch a huge break, and as we talked about, it's going to be just a dogfight in both Eastern divisions. I think both the AL East and the NL East are just going to beat up on each other, and you may see a team win one of those divisions. It's quite possible with only maybe 35 wins or so because they're going to be so hard to come by. Yeah, for sure, and as you look at the AL West, the Astros were the runaway winner by 10 games over the Athletics, who very sneakily won 97 games last season, but after that, Rangers, Angels, Mariners, all sub-500 teams. Then you look at the National League West, where you want to talk about a runaway, 21 games, the lead for the Dodgers over the Diamondbacks when the season came to a close. It was never close. The Dodgers were the best team in that division, bar none, and the best team in the National League all year last year in the regular season. Diamondbacks were 85-77. and Then you had the Giants, Rockies, and Padres, all at least eight games under five hundred with the pods 22 games under. And so just looking at the schedule, very few games for the Dodgers against the Astros and the Athletics. They've got the 10 against the Diamondbacks, but as you pointed out, I don't know if Arizona's got the firepower to really push the Dodgers in that divisional race, especially when you start considering what that schedule looks like for L.A. and then factor in just how much talent L.A. seems to be loaded with, even if David Price doesn't throw a pitch for him this year. Yeah, and he's not going to. He right. said he's he's staying out the year. So I still think, I mean, they may win. Again, they may go 42-18, and 18, but it may not matter when they get to the playoffs. As we've seen it, even after a 162-game schedule, the playoffs can be an absolute crapshoot. All it takes is for your ace to have one off night for whatever reason, or the other team's ace outduels your guy on one night that you weren't expecting. And all of a sudden, 
you're in a dogfight in a five-game series that goes to, you know, game five. And then, as we know, anytime in baseball, you can't predict how game five is going mm -hmm. to go. It's not like it's a July regular season game. You're doing everything possible to try to win that thing. So the Dodgers may end up winning more games than anybody else. I don't think it necessarily means that they'll win the World Series. I think they're the favorites, but the favorite doesn't always win. No, we've uh, learned that quite a few different times in Atlanta over the last couple of, what, two and a half decades, and also found out a pretty tough lesson about Game 5s last year in the NLDS as well. So, right. again, all that regular season stuff is great, but if it doesn't carry over into the postseason as far as being a winning trend, it doesn't really mean as much by the time that season comes to a close. So uh, that's a little bit about what's going on with the Major League Baseball schedule. We're happy to have it. Obviously, a little bit of 2021 was mixed in there as well for a tentative schedule. We'll dive into that some other time, but there were a couple of other stories. One in particular I wanted to get to that had people a little bit concerned about the 2020 season, and that was reports from across the league that stemmed from some canceled workouts after Independence Day weekend that Major League Baseball had some lags in the testing and getting the results back to clubs over the holiday on July 4th. Now, there was a statement that was put out that said, well, it was a shipping kind of issue that we had I mean, I guess I have to take them at their word in that regard. But, Bill, I'm interested to hear your reaction and your level of concern for this, given that this is kind of the thing that makes the players feel like their health and safety is being accounted for. This really can't have lapses and gaps as far as getting these tests administered and getting those results back. Yeah, I mean, up here uh, in D.C. where I am, the Nationals had to cancel a couple of their workouts because they just weren't sure um, they had a couple of guys that had tested positive before, so they're waiting to get other results back. And when they didn't come back, you know, Dave Martinez said, look, I'm not going to put my guys out there at risk because we just don't know and we don't want to have this entire thing blow up on it. So they canceled uh, at least one, if not two days of workouts. So, yeah, it's tough because if, I, if I'm remembering cl correctly, everybody has their tests sent to the same lab, which is, again, in Utah, I believe, and they're just being overwhelmed. And now they're trying to find other places to maybe have these tests, you know, processed through because they just apparently cannot handle the load that's coming through there. So if baseball can figure that out, whatever it is, maybe a quicker way to test or they have more than one lab, I think they're going to be fine. Everybody seems to be on board now. They've done all the intake testing. So all the players have at least had one test, if not multiple tests. They feel like they've got a handle on it as far as who needs to quarantine and everything else. But going forward, especially during the season, as these guys are going to get tested every other day now, I think it is, if there's any kind of lag at all, is Major League Baseball going to have to say, now, wait a minute, we didn't get the test back for the Angels. You can't play today. Right. We've got to push the game back to a doubleheader. That's a real tough thing because then you're putting teams at a real disadvantage. But I don't know how else they'd be able to do it. I don't think you can go out there and say, well, your test didn't come back. We'll take a chance that you guys are all negative. Go ahead and play. I don't know that you can do that. No, I don't think you can take a chance for that team man-to-man. -man. I don't think you can have a, the, you know, put the other team at risk either if you don't have those results back. So it's going to be – I mean, it's uncharted territory. No two ways about that. But there are certain things that you're just going to have to execute at such a high level and have an immediate response for things that don't go according to plan – this happening in that first week, though, is what gave me pause because you're thinking that hey, these guys have just spent a lot of time trying to hammer out the health and safety protocols. Clearly, the league knew by doing some very simple math of how many players are going to be involved, 
what they were going to need to do. And I guess maybe in in kind of a subconscious way, I just kept thinking to myself, how are they going to administer this many tests this often? I mean, there's some uh, unknown that's that's in there, some volatility that could be in there in terms of being able to execute. And I don't know if I'm comfortable with that if I'm a player. And I can't say that I blame them. And regardless of what side of the issue you fall on, you have to respect people's decisions when it comes to what they are willing to risk to play sports. Yeah, the, the nice thing is in looking at the testing, it seems that the rate at least is the positive rate is below what the general public yeah. rate is. Uh, they ended up with, I think, 1.2 percent. Um, 27 out of 30 teams had at least one positive case uh, when they released the Major League Baseball released these findings uh, on you know earlier in the day on Friday. Um, so they've at least it seems like got a handle on it as far as the testing numbers, the percentage number against the the general public is down. So that's a good thing. The question, as you pointed out, is what happens when you can't get that test back? What happens when you can't get the results back when you need them? Mm -hmm. What's their process going forward? And maybe the general public fans don't need to know, but I certainly think they should be as transparent as possible so that people know and kind of uh, look to what to expect if something like that happens. Because as you've mentioned, it's some 60-page, 70-page pamphlet that they have or binder that they put together for how to deal with everything that has to be in there right yeah it's got to be on one of the 113 pages or whatever, whatever it ended up yeah. being yeah and john Heyman of mlb network tweeted out right around noon on friday mlb's updated numbers were 83 positive tests out of 11,000 tests done 71 players 12 staff members that's a 0.7 percent positive test rate so Even that better, is encouraging yeah, yeah well, i mean 1.8 i thought when everybody saw that we're I mean, at least at first, you had to think, well, this has to be a good thing, right? This is a pretty low rate. It's a manageable, workable number. And hopefully, with all the health protocols that are in place, anybody that does test positive is getting the care that they need. And clearly, we're talking about professional athletes here, fortunately, and not you know what could be going on in a nursing home or some such situation like that. But there are other people, coaches. I mean, the Braves had a coach who opted not to be involved with baseball this year, at least not to coach actively this year. He may do something with the club remotely. That's an option. And Cleveland, I know, had their bench coach stepped aside as well. And I think the Twins did, had a couple of guys that are not going to be involved from a coaching and staff standpoint. So you've got to take everybody that can come in contact with it. You've got to take everything into account as you go through this. But those numbers, Bill, to get back to the point, do have to be pretty encouraging from first blush, but we got a long way to go. Well, yeah, and, and you're not having guys travel yet. You're not having right. them play other teams yet. And, and those are the factors, and I think the variables that come into play, they're not putting these guys in a bubble like the, the NBA is doing or like the, the TBT alumni uh, college basketball uh, alumni tournament has done where they're all in the same hotel and they cannot leave. Baseball's not doing that. So for right now, you're just kind of trusting that these guys are being safe and going home and doing all the things that they're supposed to be doing to, to keep safe when they're out and about. The problem is going to come, I think, when these guys start traveling a little bit and they're exposed to more people, more things, more areas. And can baseball keep these guys safe? I imagine they're being told once you get to Cincinnati, let's say, you go to the hotel, you don't leave it unless you go to uh, you know, the stadium for the game the next day, and then you're going straight back to the hotel. 
And that's easy to do. But even at the hotel, you're going to mingle with other people, whether you intend to or not. You've still got to deal with staff. You've still got to deal with other people. And you just don't know how much that's going to keep these guys in their bubble and not doing the things that they're supposed to, you know, not being going out and doing the things they're not supposed to be doing and actually going back to their room and staying there. It's tough, I imagine, when you're used to, to living one way and all of a sudden you have to do almost a complete 180 and do everything the opposite of what you're used to, but it's the only way it's going to work. Yeah, I think a lot of people have weighed in on that. And interestingly, that brings me to the other story that I saw on Friday, which is one team is going to try to enforce as best it can having players where they are supposed to be or, as you put it, maybe where they're not, maybe away from places they're not supposed to be. Uh, we know about the NBA's bubble plan. I believe Major League Soccer is trying to do a similar thing down in Orlando. But how about this report that the Blue Jays could be limiting their players to their hotel at least while at home in Toronto, I'm assuming this could be a thing that's going on on the road as well. But Scott Mitchell of TSN up in Toronto, here is what's going to keep the Blue Jays players in their stadium hotel bubble this summer. Per multiple sources, players have been told penalty if seen outside ballpark is $75,000 fine and potential jail time. Now, that's a big number. And if you think about the fines that Major League Baseball hands out for judicial purposes and problems, I'm having a hard time believing that any club could fine a player $750,000. Jail time, I guess, what do you do? Call the police and have the player reported for reckless endangerment? Like, I'm not sure how they're going to execute this whole thing, but that's a pretty stringent plan, if true. And, of course, that's reported. Again, Scott Mitchell of TSN up in Canada with that news and that report early on Friday. What do you make of all of that? And what is your reaction to both those numbers and those consequences for players? Should they stray away from the stadium or hotel? I mean, that is a lot, a lot of money. If you just wander out from your hotel. Now there has been a little bit of pushback from some of the blue Jays players that say that, uh, that Scott doesn't have it completely accurate. And it's mm -hmm. tough on Twitter. You only have so many characters, Travis Shaw tweeted out uh, in response to that. We were told two weeks, not all summer. All summer is a bit much. And then other people were trying to clarify, hey, it's two weeks every time they leave Canada and come back, which is to say every time they go on a road trip because there aren't any teams, other teams in Canada. So I don't know if they get a long homestand, if this is going to mean that they can go out uh, once they've been in Canada for, say, 16 days or if they basically are going to be stuck all summer because I can't imagine they're going to be at home for longer than two weeks at any given time during the season. So I think there's some confusion from the players, maybe even from Major League Baseball, but I know a lot of people that live there in Canada are basically, when the players were tweeting out how unfair it was, they're like, hey, we're just following, you're, you know, you're required to follow our government guidelines. That's what it is. You leave and come back, especially to the U.S., Two weeks, you can't go anywhere. And so I think there's a lot of confusion on both sides. But, yeah, if you can get fined $750,000, I'm staying in whatever hotel they tell me to stay in. Yeah, I'm just not believing that number just based on the fact that that's more than what minimum salary is for a Major League yeah. Baseball player in a full 162-game season. So if you're telling me the guys on prorated salaries making the minimum, mind you, without the huge contracts, could be fined that much, I would be a little bit surprised. Could you institute a series of fines or suspensions, team-oriented or otherwise? Maybe. 
the jail time, I thought, was a little bit strange. But, again, yeah. I kind of come back to this whole rule when I try to, you know, either talk about a story or bring forward a story or add to it is I would rather be right than to be first. And this is one of those things that not necessarily harmful, but, man, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in this particular tweet. So whether you're limited on the characters or not, I was definitely surprised to see both the terms and the money that was involved with quite possibly how you were going to keep players in their hotels or at the stadium or both and how you're going to get that done for two solid months of a Major League Baseball season. How how much uh, money could Bobby Valentine make selling the, those glasses and mustache that he used when he got thrown out <laughs> and warm in the dugout to try to? I mean, those guys are going to be just you know hanging out trying to figure out okay, what wig do I wear? Do I throw my hoodie up? Anything just so they could probably go on a walk at some point because I, I imagine you would go again. That's what they're used to. Go to the ballpark, you come back, you walk around because you're up late, but you're still wired from the game. So these guys like going out for walks, maybe not going to a pub and getting a beer, but just being able to wind down after what is usually a pretty intense work day. And now they're going to be told, nope, right back to your hotel room, put your feet up, and that's it. Yeah, one of the other things that came out out of this story a little bit later this afternoon was that the Blue Jays have only have federal approval to hold camp in Toronto as of right now. And there is a quarantine act in place, so there are penalties involved with this and they've got to get exemptions to play regular season games in Toronto and travel wow. back and forth. And, and so you've got some citizenship issues, I'm sure, obviously some legal you know, and governmental issues and laws that are going to be in place. But again, I can't tell you how relieved I am to not be the decision maker who is having to come up with all of the protocols and all of the things that people are having to do in this time of unprecedented uncertainty definitely in the sports world, but also, by the way, in our everyday lives. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and that's why we we joke, you and I laugh about the 100-plus page report uh, that, that Major League Baseball put together to kind of guide the teams through this. And we're like, you know, how, how hard can it be? But it is tough because there are so many different scenarios, probably things that you and I haven't even thought of, and we've gone through a multitude of, of things that could go wrong with this and, and they have to know all of those and more. So, yeah, I'm not envious at all of the people that are trying to put sports back together or, as you said, just generally uh, for the public having to put the protocols in place to try to keep everybody safe. Yeah, it's definitely a full-time job and then some right now. You really don't get to clock out when it comes to that. So hopefully all of the things that are being done are happening in people's best interest and we're doing the best we can with the information and continuing to monitor things moving forward to keep everybody safe as we embark on what we hope will be a successful Major League Baseball season. But again, the uncertainty that surrounds everything, it cannot be stated enough that this is something that we're going to have to kind of take a day at a time. And I think that's what everyone has resigned themselves to as they climb into what they hope will be a ride that goes all the way through October, but we'll find out together. So with that said, we are again, another week closer to opening day. In fact, as this podcast comes out on Friday, the 10th of July, we are less than two weeks from the Nationals and Yankees opening up on the 23rd and exactly two weeks from the Braves and the Mets opening up on the 24th. So, Bill, closer by the day. I'm excited about that. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I'm hoping that they've got this uh, under control and a handle on it as far as the testing and everything else because every time there's a delay, every time there's a hiccup, I, I just expect more and more players to be like, you know what? Not worth it. I'm out. And, and 
you know, every day we see it seems like another player uh, step mm-hmm. aside and 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 not want to play. But again, as you said, 13 days away, we'll get first pitch, and uh, it's going to be a good one, Yankees and Nationals. So uh, it's it's around the corner. It's almost here. Let's hope they can pull it off. Yep, looking forward to that. Looking forward to the season in general, and of course, looking forward to chatting with you again next week about what's happening across Major League Baseball. Bill, take care, and I'll catch you then. Absolutely. Have a great weekend to you and everybody listening. I appreciate it. Well, that's all the time we have for you today. Thanks again to Gabe Burns and, of course, to Bill Rowland for checking in on this episode of From the Diamond. Find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. And if you like the podcast, be sure to share it with a friend as well. On Twitter, find the show at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And you can find Bill Rowland on Twitter at Bill Rowland, B-I-L-L-R-O-H-L-A-N-D. And make sure you're following Gabe as well at Gabe Burns AJC is where you can find him. And of course, every episode of the show and so much more is available for you at fromthediamond.com. That'll wrap up our Braves and baseball discussion for this week. But be sure to check in with us again for an all new episode of From the Diamond coming your way this time next week. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.